Hi, everybody. Welcome to this very special episode of Learning the Tropes. I am here with a a wonderful author, uh, Gigi Griffs. She is the author of the Netflix tie-in movie, The Empress, which is out now, and the creepy YA horror, The Wicked Unseen, which is uh, going to be coming to us next year, among other things. She is also a sucker for little-known histories, unlikable female characters, which we are a big fan of over here as well, and all things Europe. Another thing we're a fan of. Um, after almost 10 years of a semi-nomadic life, she now lives in Portugal with an opinionated Yorkie mix named Luna and a fancy blender that costs more than her couch, which I do want to hear about. Welcome, Gigi. Thanks so much for joining us or joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, good. So first, for things first, tell me about uh, The Empress, the story, how it came to you. Um, I kind of want to hear. It's it's such a unique thing. Yeah. So uh, The Empress is a tie-in novel to the Netflix series of the same name, as you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And the core story, which is based on real history, um, is about Elizabeth, a duchess in Bavaria, and her older sister, Helene, who is supposed to marry the emperor. So the emperor is supposed to meet up with them at Bad Ischl in Austria, which is uh, an area that the royal family liked to vacation. They had a, a villa there called the Kaiser Villa. And for his birthday, he was going to meet Helen and they were supposed to get engaged. And instead, he gets there and the spark doesn't happen with Helen. It happens with her younger sister, Elizabeth, who is also known as Cece. And so we get this great forbidden romance uh, set up that's really perfect for a series and for a novel. I love it. I mean, that does sound... Like all the kind of tropes that we love too, which is in like, you know, a forbidden love and love with like your sister's boyfriend, which is like very juicy and very ripe for conflict. Um, How, so this is a little bit different in that I am at, did, did Netflix come to you to write the novels or sort of how did it all come to pass? Yeah. So Netflix partnered with Zando, my publisher. Mm-hmm. And Zando was responsible for finding a writer. And then Zando and Netflix worked together to choose what writer they wanted to work with. So Zando reached out to a handful of late agents, including my uh, previous agent, uh, Veronica Park. And she was really known for, and some and these other agents as well, were known for having clients who can do this kind of work, who can adapt, mm-hmm. you know, from screen to book, or who can do work really, really quickly and willing work to work on someone else's idea, basically. And so they came to her, they said, do you have anyone who can do historical, who, who knows Europe? And she said, uh, yes, I have that <laughs> author for you. Um, and so then I was, I believe, one of five authors who auditioned for the project. And we were asked to do a few chapters um, and a synopsis of how we would approach the story. So they gave us the scripts ahead of time. So we had the first two episode scripts during this audition period. And later on, I was able to read all of the scripts. Um and yeah, then I, I did the audition and I was, I'm an overachiever. So I sent them, I think, seven chapters and a much more detailed outline. Um, <laughs> and kind of the rest is history. We went back and forth a little bit. They called me up and said, we want to go in this direction instead of the one that you proposed. How do you feel about that? And because I knew I was working with someone else's idea, I came into it ready to collaborate. So I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. let's, nothing you're saying feels off to me. Let's do it. And I, having a reputation as loving history and Europe is, I mean, perfect. What a way to sort of be introduced to places. Um, 
I have so many questions based on that. Sort of what was your understanding of Empress Cece previous to this? Because I feel like she's one of those historical figures that has certainly come up, like me also a history-loving European loving person um, comes up all the time in that picture of her with her very long hair and everything. What was your relation? Um, it feels weird to feel say relationship, but I feel like as an author, you probably do feel like you have relationships. So like, what was your relationship? <laughs> what was your relationship with her prior to this? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually um, stayed in Bodyshell. I went on a hiking vacation in Bodyshell mm-hmm. a few years ago and in my little apartment rental over the bed, there were two portraits. And I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, this like really beautiful woman, this really a handsome guy, clearly they're like some sort of royalty. And I asked Mm -hmm. my landlord about them and it's Cece and Franz. So my first real introduction to them was actually staying in the place where all of these events unfolded, um, which was really cool. And that inspired me. I kind of wrote down, okay, I want to research more about them. I went at that time and looked at the broad strokes of their lives, but hadn't really dug very deeply. And then when this opportunity came up, I thought, I've been meaning to look deeper into their lives anyway. I find them really interesting. And so this is a win-win situation. Even if I don't get the project that they're having me audition for, I get to do some research that I'm excited about. So I'm fortunate that I have some friends who are historians, including one who specializes in Germanic Europe. Um, Mm -hmm. She's not a CC specialist in particular, but without telling her anything about the project, I I just said, hey, can you send me a list of resources to get started learning more about the Habsburgs, learning more about this time period? Um, And she delivered. So I started doing that pretty early on in this process. So it feels like you almost called the project to you, it seems, with that little, yeah. I mean, I love that, that sort of, um, that kind of like kismet magic that can happen with writing and with with this sort of thing. Um, Had you done a reverse adaptation or writing a novel based on someone else's idea before? You said that that was kind of a reputation you had or a skill that you knew you had or... Well, so this is a reputation my agent had was representing authors who could do that work and do that work well. Um, But I had not actually done that before. However, on another side of things, I actually think all historical fiction is a little bit of an adaptation because we are Mm. taking either a time period or a person and we are already riffing off of that life or time period or like something that exists in the world. We haven't, it's not fantasy where I've pulled everything out of my imagination. I have actually gone back to some source materials. So I actually feel like there's familiarity. There's more information here. Like someone else, you know, had a whole plot structure in mind, but Mm -hmm. I think that I'm always going to something that exists and developing off of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it seems like you had kind of an encounter with um, with the Empress, you know, prior to this project. Are there any other women that you kind of keep interacting with that you're like, oh, that would be somebody else that I would want to give this treatment to? For sure. Like, there's so many historical women that I love mm-hmm. and that I would love to either see someone else do this for or to to work with myself. So, for example, one of them is Isabella, the she-wolf of France. Do you know about her? No, but I mean, it sounds like I definitely want to. (laughs) Tell me about her. 
she was a noblewoman in France um, who was married off to the English king. This is in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. And he treated her very poorly for years. And she had a son with him. And at some point, he is having kind of a bad relationship with the kingdom that she had come from. And so he said, you know, go fix our relations. Go be a diplomat for me, you and our son. And so she heads on over there and she's like, just kidding. I'm not your diplomat. I'm now your enemy. Um, I'm going to put my <laughs> son on the throne and I'm going to take a lover over here because you haven't been a very good one. Um, and mm-hmm. so this incredible, powerful woman uh, went on a quest to put her son on the throne. And I would love to see her story adapted in the world in both film and and book would be a dream. That's I I can't believe I've never heard of her because that sounds phenomenal and very exciting and i i also want that now it's a new my new thing too (laughs) it's like she's like pretty high up my list and then there's just there's so Mm -hmm. many others but i i'm actually working on something right now that's like you know not a real thing yet but i would love to also write about a particular historical lady pirate so if you go looking around at historical lady pirates you might be able to figure out who i'm looking at next so to kind of go back um i'd love to hear a little bit about your writing before you were a professional writer sort of is this some is this like a passion that you had since you were very young or is it kind of new I know you live this kind of really fascinating nomadic lifestyle as well I think I am I am the writer cliche I always wanted Mm -hmm. to be a writer from the time I was a child I was writing very funny little like picture books by myself at seven um, Uh some of which I still have but There was a long period of time when I was not writing any fiction um, because my job was too demanding. Um, Mm -hmm. So my my day job, I've been a professional writer for almost 20 years, um, but my day job is ghostwriting and marketing writing. So I was writing Mm -hmm. for, you know, for CEOs and, and marketing leaders and things like that. So I was always writing. I was always developing certain craft perspective, but fiction got pushed to the wayside until maybe six years ago, um, I decided I really wanted to make room in my schedule for it again. And so I did. I cut my working hours down and I decided I was going to finish writing a novel, even if it wasn't good, even if I didn't do anything with it. I just wanted to experiment as an adult. What would that feel like to go back to this thing I loved to do when I was a kid? Yeah. And so is that novel The Wicked Unseen or is that another novel that we might never see? Or that is a novel that is going to be in a drawer somewhere. <laughs> that was the practice novel. And not because I don't think that it could be a great novel one day, but because I got fatigue with the time period. I was writing a, a World War II novel and mm-hmm. I just it, it's a hard time period to spend a lot of time in. And it's very, you know, can be a dark and depressing time. Um, and so I decided I don't really want to spend my time there right now. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I actually, before The Empress, I had completed four novels and The Wicked Unseen was number four. So The Empress <laughs> and The Wicked Unseen sold within two weeks of each other. Um, and so my fifth completed novel and my fourth completed novel are the first two that are that are coming out. Amazing. That's that's phenomenal. And I, I love that idea as well of you kind of making space in your life for this thing that you've wanted to do. And I think it also can be so hard when your day job is like um, 
a mirror of what your passion is in the way that copywriting and ghostwriting kind of is. It's like a facility of what you actually want to be doing, um, which can make it really hard because I, I think I'm also a creative as well. And I always needed to have my day job be as far apart from like creativity or writing as possible because I would find myself so burnt out. Um, how did you kind of, were you, do you, you know, do you like have your day job and then like go for a walk and come home and now you're a novelist, Gigi, or is it sort of how do you keep that clear? So for me, one of the big answers is that I'm self-employed and I've been Mm self-employed for 10 years. So early on in my career, I did not have as much control over my schedule, which is part of why I didn't write. Um, But as I've gotten farther into my career and become self-employed, I've been able to set my schedule much more definitively. Um, So what I like to do is kind of give myself chunks of time to only think about one thing. So I might designate, Mm -hmm. you know, two or three days a week that are just work days. I'm just in the throes of client work, marketing, tech work, and then a couple days a week where it's just the novel. And I'm, I'm just sitting with whatever I'm working on creatively or setting aside a day that's just admin and marketing, because sometimes you just Mm got to catch up on all those little tasks that come up for both books and for running your own business. So it's really about kind of chunking my time. And it's also, you know, the privilege of being far enough along in my career and making good enough money that I can say, I'm not going to work full-time hours uh, at my day job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's phenomenal. And it took, it seems like it took a little bit of time to get there, but I love that sort of like, Because I always, that advice of like write every day, I feel like it's so not sustainable at all. And then it's so easy to miss a day or two and be like, well, I'm a failure, I guess, you know? Yeah, I think everyone needs to find what works for them. And if write every day keeps you going, awesome. I am on board with you. Do it. Um, It is not how I work. uh, And it is not how I work best. I need uninterrupted stretches where I can be with my creativity. And so that Mm -hmm. means saying I'm giving four hours today to writing, Um, even if only three of those hours are actively writing and one of them is sitting there daydreaming. Um, That's writing. Thinking is writing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm sure you do experience writer's block. And so when something like that comes up on a day that you have set aside for for novel writing, how do you work through it? Or Yeah. I love this question in part because I'm not sure that I believe writer's block is one thing. I think it's multiple mm. different things. And I think for me, the key has been figuring out what that writer's block is. So for example, there have been times in my career or times uh, after I started writing fiction where that writer's block or that inability to to work was coming from a place of burnout or depression. I mean, I'm like, all of us can relate to like writing through COVID. You either were on the fast track writing a ton or you were like super depressed and blocked, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So if that writer's block for me, if that's coming from a place of burnout or depression, the answer might be to take a break. Um, If I'm not on a deadline, if I have not sold the thing that I am working on, there's no reason that I can't take some time off and walk away from it and not do that project right now. And we are more than our output. I think that's really important to remember, even as creatives, even when you're doing something you think is really important and you want in the world, you are still more important and your mental health is still more important. So I don't think you always should push through writer's block. 
So I'd say that's one side of it for me. And then the other side, if I'm just having an off day, I don't feel like doing it. I'm throwing a temper tantrum, whatever. Um, I really just take a leaf from my day job, um, mm -hmm. which is to work through it. Um, and the way I work through it or the way I convince my brain to chill out is by saying, all you have to do is put the words on the page. They're not getting sent to anyone. They're not going to be shown to anyone. It can be as bad as you want it to be, but you have to put something on the page because you are on, you know, either a deadline or a, or a self-imposed deadline. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's good. And so yeah, I can yeah. trick my brain into putting the words on the page. They're never quite as bad as I think in that moment. And they are fixable later. So I can come back on a really creative day and make it into something that I'm more proud of. That's, I mean, those are, that's two great things. I agree 100% with the the mental health and kind of being able to show up to your work as a whole person. And how if you don't feel like you are a whole person at the moment, or, you know, there's other things that you you need more to make sure to honor that. And then sometimes it is just ass in the seat and and typing out words that you know are going to be bad. I remember my um, my father is a creative person and he's always wanted to be creative. He's always wanted to write, but for various reasons of toxic masculinity and growing up in a family of all boys, he didn't feel like that was a possibility for him. And so I've been talking to him a lot about creativity and writing. He's like, well, what if the thing I write isn't good? And I was like, oh, it's not going to be good. Are you kidding? nobody's going to read this. It's not possible. It's your first thing. It, you have to also allow yourself to not be good at the beginning and then eventually be good or have the first draft be not exactly what you want it to be, you know, to have that space as well. So I love that. Yeah. I feel like there's something in there too about like, <laughs> you're allowed to do things that you're not perfect at. Like yeah. anything, it doesn't have to just be writing. Like I love hiking, for example. When I go hiking with my like actual trail runner, like friends who like train and do marathons, I am way far behind them on the trail. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and it doesn't matter because I love doing it and I don't have to be the best at every single thing I do, including the things I want to put in the world, e including the art I want to put in the world. Like, even if I'm always improving and I'm not there yet, it's okay to do a thing that you love that you're not perfect at yet. Yeah. And I, I, I love that as well. I think that that's really, really important. And um, I am learning French after like being in school trying to learn French. And now I'm just kind of like learning it for myself. And the most freeing part is, is like, I'm never going to be fluid in French. And that has to be okay. And also, it's like, I will seem like an idiot. Uh, sometimes when I speak French, and it won't be exactly what I want to say, but kind of that like, working towards something that isn't not that it's not attainable, because I guess I could end up fluent in French, it seems unlikely. But that sort of idea of like being able to look silly to try this thing in the world, no matter what is the is the thing that is fun, you know, kind of when you release that you have so much more joy. And I'm finding that it's so much easier now than it ever was when I was in school, or, or any previous time, because I'm not looking, I mean, I'm not looking to look cool. <laughs> I mean, when I was in Paris, I was speaking French to people, some understood, some didn't, some spoke back to me in French, I had every experience. So um, but I think, yeah, that's, that's really important. Kind of that release. Um, you mentioned like, uh, loving unlikable female heroines or heroes. I love that as well. I think, you know, we're a big fan of, of those kind of women, uh, here at learning the tropes as well. And so 
I'm interested in you kind of expanding on that. Like, who are some of the characters that you love who are unlikable? I mean, obviously, we we know unlikable is not. <laughs> it's not a static the, the, thing. The correct. correct term. Yeah, it's not a static thing. It's also, it's, it's you know. But I'd love to hear you talk a little more about that. Yeah. This is maybe touching on something you'll want to talk about later, but like my favorite trope is like grumpy sunshine. (laughs) And I Mm -hmm. like it when, when I have a grumpy woman, I, I love Mm -hmm. a woman. (laughs) I love a woman who is um, pushing back against whatever her society is at the time. And, and I've written Mm -hmm. in different time periods. Um, but I love that pushback. I love the grumpiness. I love the prickliness. And I also really like lady criminals. So I haven't, you know, I don't have anything coming out yet with a lady criminal, but I would love to write about pirates, um, about Mm -hmm. con artists. I find them super fascinating. Um, and whether you love them or hate them, I like that they're complicated, that they're not just, you know, going, going along in the way that we expect them to and where we're agreeing with all of their decisions. So in the Empress, for example, Helen is, is one of my favorite characters because she's so complicated. She's angry and she's messy and she's mad at the wrong people. And she's, she's working through some stuff. And that for me was really fun to write, to say, what is it like to go through this mess and how do you come out the other side? Yeah. I love that as well. Sorry, I mentioned that we are like have been battling COVID on and off in this household. And so like, I don't know. I'm officially negative, but who knows? So I am like a little sniffly. Um, But yeah, I think that begs kind of the next question, which is like, we are a romance novel podcast. It sounds like you're probably a romance reader, but I'd love to hear a little bit. Yeah. From your own words. Yeah, so I'm not genre monogamous, as you can tell, since I have a romance yeah, yeah. out and totally I have horror coming out. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, I, I read romance and I've had some romances that have been actually very formative for me. So there was one book I was thinking about before, per, before I came on is called Love with a Chance of Drowning. And it's actually a memoir, but it hits all of the romance beats. It has our happy for now ending. She's still alive. So I'm saying happy for now. Um, (laughs) And it has all of the, like all of the tensions, all of the core love story. And the core of that story is she's a woman who is afraid of the water, who meets the man she thinks could be the love of her life. And he is about to go sailing around the world. And so she has to make a decision to, is she willing to, for love, face this incredible fear that she has? And so it's got this beautiful travel side to it. It's got the love story side to it. It's got all of these like fearful moments facing your fears. And it is the only book ever in my entire history of reading that when I got to the last page and I read the last page, I immediately turned back to the first page and started reading it again. Amazing. What's the title and author for that one? Just one more. Love with a Chance of Drowning. And it's Tori, I believe her last name is DeRoche. Tori DeRoche. Amazing. Um, What are some traditional romances that you like read and enjoy and sort of what is your, your genre? Like your, like if there's a sub that you go for. I really am a little bit all over the place, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge, as I'm sure so many people are, I'm a huge Jane Austen fan. Like that's the, mm-hmm. you know, foundational, uh, yeah. incredible romance stories um, with also these critiques of her time and place, which I think is really interesting. Um, and then one of my favorites is called The Secret Ingredient of Wishes. And 
the author's name is escaping me right now, but it is the like woman escaping uh, a bad situation, goes to a small town, just looking for solace and finds both community and love in the process. And there's this beautiful, like magical element to it where the, one of the first people she meets in town is a woman who can bake wishes into pies. And so there's this like gorgeous fantasy element to it, but it is at its heart, it's a romance. And I believe it's on the romance shelves. Wonderful. I will suggest if you are a fan of pirates, um, there's a book from the 80s, so, you know, beware, uh, called The Windflower. And the author actually just uh, passed away recently, but it is basically about a woman in the 1700s who accidentally finds herself on a pirate ship and falling in love with the pirate captain. But you get to, it's all the things you love about pirates, piracy in that it's, you get to learn everybody on the crew and it's this sweeping adventure and they go across the Atlantic and all this. Um, that's really fun. So if you, you know, are interested in pirates, go for that one for sure. Um, so like you said, you are kind of like genre agnostic, as far, which is a wonderful place to be, I think, you know, because there's at the core, I think we love just stories and sort of romance is the yeah is the parameters for one but obviously story amazing stories can come in every genre um particularly for romance if somebody was like i've never read a romance novel what would you suggest do you have your like i would suggest the empress <laughs> but, exactly <laughs> but obviously I, for, but other than you yeah <laughs> yeah but no for real it was the first time i wrote a romance so i you know mm -hmm. i've written subplots that are romantic in my other books but this was my first romance book and so if you are new to romance and you want to take the journey with me i'm honored um and other than that there's a lot of romances that have been coming out lately that i'm excited about including one I just started. I've only read a couple of chapters, but I can tell I'm really going to like it, which is Love and Other Disasters by Anita mm -hmm. Kelly. Um, and the plot of that is it's set on a cooking show. And the first non-binary contestant on the cooking show history uh, is falling for their competitor, who is a recently divorced kind of klutzy, like sunshine character. Um, so I think that there's a grumpy sunshine thing that's about to happen, which is my kryptonite. Um, <laughs> and so that one, if you want to join me in reading that one, that's my next read. I love that. I any kind of bake-off romance like thing like that, I am very into. So yeah. Yeah. There's also uh, Love from Scratch by Caitlin Hill. I haven't read it yet. It's on my list, um, which is also <laughs> a like bake-off type of romance and it's YA and I think Publishers Weekly in their review described it as like too feminist which to me is like yes <laughs> put that on my list I know it's like when they like the the famous one for romance is always like too much sex and everyone is like okay so this is on my list now I think romance uniquely in the way uh because it is um and obviously to be extremely general is normally written by women and consumed by women and I think women in general tend to have a forward-looking view of things and therefore romance tends to be um very reflective of of issues we're dealing with in in modern society um so do you think that's true for the empress are there sort of echoes of what's happening now within the book and if so sort of what what are they and and how is it to write those 
I think that one of the reasons that CeCe's story kind of survives across time is that we do actually see echoes of that across time. And so we see like Meghan Markle and the way that she's treated in the royal family is very similar yeah. to yeah. Cece coming in kind of as an outsider and not being treated well by the family and struggling to to hang on to the love that that she has with this man um despite everything around her pushing back against her. So I think we have things in our modern time that we can really connect to that. Um Princess Diana has also been brought up quite a lot in these conversations. So I do think we we see the same story kind of playing out in a different way. And I think a lot of us can relate to wanting something in our life to work out, whether it's romance or job or whatever, and having the cards just stacked against us. Right. Um, and so I think that that's a little bit timeless of a feeling, especially as a woman. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting that Camilla, uh, sorry, that uh, Diana is the one that is uh, compared to her because I would say it's Camilla. It's falling in love with somebody and then not being the one that society has chosen for him, you know, in a way, possibly. But that is interesting. Yeah. Um, I know she's <laughs> most people's not fa like not favorite member of that triangle or whatever, but, you know. As a romance reader, I think I, that's the one that I always uh, am am drawn to. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit, you know, you've mentioned Grumpy Sunshine, which is obviously a trope we all love. We are learning the tropes. We are very love a uh, trope and trope centric. What are other tropes that you, when you see it in a book, you're like, yes, this one's for me? I mean, Grumpy Sunshine's my like top top. And then mm -hmm. I really did. I enjoyed this book and writing this book because I think Forbidden Love also has, there's yeah, a yeah. depth to that. There's a, there's something really challenging about going into, you know, there's an impossible situation in the way and how can these two people be together? So that's definitely something that I enjoy in any genre is like the extreme external challenge that you don't know how you're going to surmount um, the forbiddenness mm -hmm. of the thing that you want. That's my favorite too. And I think all of my like other tropes that I love all do boil down to forbidden love because it's just, it's the like, it's the, uh, it's like the main first, it's like Romeo and Juliet, which is not a romance, but um. And then sort of with tropes as well, like what are your favorite Grumpy Sunshine books? Oh, my. I I mean, right now, what comes to mind just because I just started reading it is Love and Other Disasters because I think that's yeah. what yeah. the dynamic is going to be based on the first couple chapters in that one. Mm -hmm. um, and I just – it's just something I'm drawn to. You know, when I, when I was thinking about tropes, it's a – any other book that you read by me that comes out is probably going to have a grumpy sunshine pairing. So this is my first <laughs> forbidden love book. Um, but the book that comes out next year, the horror has a grumpy sunshine pairing. Okay. Uh, and so it is what I'm drawn to definitely in writing. And I'm sure in reading, even though I can't think of any right now. One of my favorite grumpy sunshines ends up being kind of a like, not that I love the idea of a reverse grumpy sunshine, but the grumpy is a woman and the sunshine is a guy is the widow of Rose house. Yeah. The Widow of Rose House, which is also like kind of spooky. So it's really fun to read right now. Uh, there's like a ghost element to it. And it takes place in New York in the during like the Gilded Age. 
I believe, or a little after the Gilded Age, uh, by Diana Biller. That's really, it's a fantastic one. Um, If after uh, Love from Scratch, if you're looking for something else. Um, Cool. And then, so you wrote, uh, you said you were working that World War II uh, novel, and then um, obviously with Empress Cece. Is there a time period that you're like particularly drawn to? that you kind of go back to over and over again that you want to explore? I've spent a lot of time researching the Middle Ages, um, Mm -hmm. but I will say that for me, it's less about the time period and more about finding a person or a story that resonates with me. And then from there, I get really interested in all the things that are going on around them that made their story possible, right? So, you know, we look at Cece and then I start to go out from there and say, okay, what's happening with the war in the background threatening? What's mm-hmm. happening all around them that's that's creating the circumstance um, that they're in? So I would say it's less about the, the time and more that I go to the person or the event that I want to explore. And from there, branch into the research of the time period. Yeah. Yeah. And there are so many, um, I think, unsung or unexplored women in history as well, that whenever you go down one of those uh, rabbit holes, you you just find more and more and more. So you said, obviously, pirates is something that you're interested in. Um, Is there anything, any other... And um, Isabella as well. But are there any others that you're excited about or sort of starting to like kind of research a little? So I went to uh, Orléans in France uh, this past summer. And my intention was to research Joan of Arc. Now, I'm not writing a Joan of Arc novel uh, that's been done, been done very well. Um, In fact, I think there's a new one I haven't read yet uh, that Mm -hmm. came out recently. Uh, But I'm really fascinated by her because her and also Cece are two of the most well-documented women in history in Europe. Um, And a lot of the other women that I found, I find in the footnotes. So I still remember I was reading a book just about a a historical event in France. And in the footnotes, it said um, something about this guy that they were talking about, like he disappeared out of the story because he, quote unquote, ran off with an adventurous. And I was like, excuse me, I need to know who this adventurous is. So then I went down this deep rabbit hole of who this woman was that he ran off with. And she turned out to be like a con artist. And she's not a well-known figure at all. And and in fact, her name is escaping me right now. But that's the kind mm-hmm. of thing that I love to do is be reading these books and then just see, okay. There's a mention of a woman. Let me see if I can find her. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And adventurous. I mean, all these jobs that women used to have that were so fantastic. I found like yeah, women yeah. grave robbers, con artists, adventurous. I'm like, all right, take me, take me, put that on my business card. <laughs> I know. Adventurous. Well, speaking of adventurous, so you live in Portugal. Obviously, you're not, or maybe not obviously, maybe you are Portuguese. Um how did you how did you land there? So I first I was a digital nomad. So I left <laughs> the US. Uh, I was self-employed at the time and I wanted to explore the possibility of working remotely from Europe. And so I started out just exploring. So I went and spent a month in Belgium and a month in Scotland and a month in Germany and then a month in Switzerland and you know hopped around a lot. Uh, and that was 10 years ago, I started this journey. And since then, I've lived in Estonia, I've lived in Croatia, I've lived in Switzerland. 
And more recently, pretty much right before COVID uh, came to be, I decided I really wanted a home base that was more permanent, that wasn't just a mm-hmm. year here or a few months there. Um, and I landed on Portugal and I came here sight unseen. Uh, I had my checklist of why I thought it would be a good fit, but I, I thought I'll give it a year and see how I feel. And we're coming up on that year and I'm feeling really good. So I, I really do feel like I'm going to be staying here. And I was so excited because in addition to the Empress coming out in English, it came out in Portuguese actually yesterday. Um, so it's, you know, in my country I was born in, and it's also here in the country that I've adopted, which is very perfect. Oh, I love that so much. It's so Portugal is, uh, seems to be such a great place and you are a digital nomad. So early, like so ahead of the curve, I think too, because I think it happened for a lot of people during COVID. Uh, and it's interesting. We spoke with, uh, Joy Mitchell, who is one of the writers on Bridgerton, or she wrote on the first season of Bridgerton. And she is also a digital nomad. And she also ended up in Portugal. So I guess if you want to be a writer. Well, it's also the only country that I've heard of. There could be others, but this mm-hmm. is the only one I know of that um, a lot of countries have lists of skills that they're looking for and they make it easier for you to get a visa or you get some sort of tax break if you're on the skill list. It is the only country I know of that has author on the skill list. Oh. oh. So it makes you feel really valued as a writer to say like they want us here. It's not just, you know, mm-hmm. technicians and engineers all down this skills list. They want creatives. Yeah. You, and also, you would just think that more countries would want that as well, because I'm sure you'll end up setting uh, something in Portugal eventually as well. You know, it'd be hard not to. Um, wonderful. So I know we're like coming up on time, but I want to give you time to talk about The Wicked Unseen. So it's a YA horror, but it sounds like also a little romantic. So I'd love to hear about sort of how this book came to you and, and when is it coming out exactly in 2023 and, and all that, everything. Yeah. So it comes out June 20th, 2023. And Mm -hmm. it is set during the satanic panic uh, in a small town in the US. So I've been obsessed Mm -hmm. with the satanic panic for a long time. I grew up during that time. And uh, I wanted, I've always wanted to set a novel there. And I was just waiting for the right characters and the right novel to set there. And so it's set during a time when this small, you know, kind of isolated Pennsylvania town really believes, you know, Pokemon are trying to turn your kids into witches. And, and if you play rock music backward, it's, it's a message from the devil. And they believe that there are secret Satanists practicing rituals in the woods nearby. And then mm. our protagonist, um, who is a little bit of like a Wednesday Adams character, her family is a little bit Adams family drop down in the middle of this very superstitious town. Mom's a mortician, dad's studying spiritualism, and she's a little bit gothic. And then the preacher's daughter, who is also the love interest, disappears. And so it is a, there's a mystery element to it. It's Audrey, our main character, has to solve what's happened. And because the town is so obsessed with this Satanist angle, they're not really looking at every, anything else. So she really realizes she's the only one who's going to look at all the possibilities and hopefully find this girl that she's had a crush on since she arrived in town. Thrilled to bits. I think this is going to be huge. I'm very excited for it. I'm interested in every aspect of it. We must be around the same age because I also grew up with the satanic panic and 
what a bizarre time and what a strange time to have to describe to anybody. It's so, but so ripe. Yeah. I don't know if you remember. I remember there was a book and I went and looked it up when I was writing this book just to make sure it was real and not something I made up as a kid. There was a book uh, called Saturday Morning Mind Control, I believe. And it said it had just all of these completely made up statistics where it was like 80% of morning cartoons are demonic. And oh my God. it was like just scary parents away from like literal kids toys um and so this is the yeah to me that's fascinating and it's a fascinating it's dark but it's also interesting as a backdrop for a like thriller slash horror slash mystery plot yeah and I mean that sort of I mean I don't I feel like I have a lot of questions I mean mostly the questions are like can I read it now um I and I love that idea too of her falling in love with somebody while trying to find them. It just seems very like cinematic and big and like juicy as a storyline. I love that idea. I love a little dark Wednesday Adams. I feel like as a main character, it's so interesting. Um yeah, and so what? It's in the nineties then. It would be like the mid the early nineties. Like when was the satanic panic? Like the night the nineties. Satanic panic 80s. was eighties and not into nineties. Mm-hmm. Like you really had it that whole period. The really some of the really dark stuff, uh, the people who got arrested falsely was happening in the eighties. I didn't want to go there. I wanted to, mm-hmm. to have the backdrop of the fear. Um, and I wanted to do the nineties in part because the main character wants to write or direct horror movies and so she's obsessed Mm -hmm. with horror movies and I wanted to play with some of the movies that had come out more recently during that satanic panic time so I wanted to put her kind of in the later satanic panic so that we could play with a little bit of her talking about or thinking about these horror movies because literally her kind of shtick throughout the book is that she's framing the entire experience as if this were a horror movie this is what would happen next and the very first line of the book is, if this were a horror movie, L would be the first to die. And the reason mm. she's saying that is because she thinks L is so beautiful and, and amazing. And like, those are the characters she sees the all-males writer's room killing off. And then later on, L disappears. And she's like, oh, crap, did I like psychically make that happen? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's so interesting. And, and that's such a great framing as well. And also to have... Um, a gay romance in the early 90s as well where I don't think many things were said and we both remember that time and it was so completely I mean like thank god it's completely different now but it, uh, sort of all of that as as well and yeah anyway, great listen great job <laughs> coming up with this book it seems fantastic and so it's The Wicked Unseen um, and it is available for pre-order now or not. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's available Great. for pre-order and the cover is being revealed on Halloween. <gasps> Guys, wonderful. Okay, great. So that's like in a week or two, where it's going to be revealed. Um, I always love to pre-order because I am not somebody who can ever remember when something is coming. So then it just appears on my Kindle or I just get an email or it appears on my doorstep. And it's a present to future you is what I always say about pre-orders. So definitely pre-order it now. Um and the Empress is available now, is out now, and it is on Netflix. And it's mm-hmm. on Netflix. Um, I have, I'm biased. I think you should read the book before you watch the show. Always, always, yes. 
And uh, and it's also available in other languages. So if you would mm -hmm. prefer to read it in Spanish, in Portuguese, in French, in Italian, it is out or coming out in those languages um, uh, as well as others. And the Netflix show is in German, correct? Yes. Um, there okay. is dubbing and captioning uh, in mm -hmm. quite a few languages. It was a worldwide release. So you can also put the dubbing on in English if you prefer. If you don't speak, I don't speak German fluently yet. Let's see, maybe one day. Um, that's, it, it, was there any kind of special, anything about, obviously, I assume you got the scripts in, in English, but sort of working with uh, like German sensibilities, what were the creatives working on the um, series German? Sort of how did that come? I know it obviously is a German story. Yeah, so I luckily they they sent us the translated scripts, um, mm -hmm. and I actually lived in the Germanic part of Switzerland. I do not speak German, but I felt very comfortable with Germanic humor. I felt very comfortable; like the story felt great to me. Um, yeah. I I didn't personally. I don't know if it's just from living there or if it's just that they did such a good job translating directly into English, um, but it felt very comfortable to me. And the only time I interacted with the German is um, throughout the book, we actually have Cece's poems and her mm -hmm. poems. These are her real poems that she wrote um, and they are available, I believe on the Gutenberg project, if people want to go look them up, but they're in German. So you have to, you know, Google translate or whatever. And so there was some translation or kind of massaging of working with the German in her poems. So yeah, thanks so much for for taking the time to chat. This was so lovely getting to know you. I'm so excited and and congratulations on everything with the Empress and um and I uh and the Wicked Unseen. I almost said the Sight Unseen, so that's why I wanted to make sure to chat. So obviously, read the Empress and then, you know, get your friends together, watch the Empress together, learn a little German. Um and the Wicked Unseen, you can pre-order now. Um, check out the cover come uh, Halloween. Um, how else can people find you? So I'm pretty easy to find. If you just put Gigi Griffiths into Google, <laughs> then you will find me. I, I think I'm the only one or one of two. Um, mm -hmm. And my website is ggriffiths.com. I am on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on TikTok. Um, I am chronically online you will find me if you look for me <laughs> aren't we all you know um wonderful well, i can't uh wait to see everything that you're going to do it seems like you're at the precipice of a, of a really phenomenal career and, I, and i'm so grateful that you took this time to, to chat with me so thank you so much from your lips to the universe's ears <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> thanks so much thank you